Technology is a great thing, right? You have your iPhone, we have smart refrigerators, everything is connected. And by nature of the fact that it's connected is a security possible vulnerability. Welcome to Altitude, the unsung heroes of cloud transformation, a podcast by Aviatrix. Today, more and more enterprises are moving their business up to the clouds as the race to innovate continues. In this multi-cloud world, IT leaders and teams find themselves behind the wheel where they are confronted with both new challenges and new opportunities. On Altitude, we explore the voices and stories of the people who are overcoming these challenges every day to drive their business to the next level. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening app and stay tuned for this episode. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Altitude. I'm your host, Woody Woodworth, and we have a great show today. We are going to talk about security in the cloud, challenges and opportunities there. To help us with this discussion, I brought in one of the big time cloud experts on security, Heather Zay. Thanks, Heather, for being here. Thank you for having me. You bet. So folks, Heather is, of course, very modest. So on her behalf, I will go through some of her background for you just so you can see what a visionary she is and a trailblazer she is here. So backing up a little bit, of course, this is all just off LinkedIn. It's not like I have some uh, super secret decoder ring for Heather's resume or anything. Heather holds two degrees, a Bachelor of Science with Honors in Physics and a Bachelor of Arts in History from Stanford, very prestigious. She also has a Master's of Science in Technology Management from University of Arizona. And she has worked through her career as an IT manager, a consulting manager at such firms as Morgan Stanley and Deloitte and & Touche before a very long and successful career as a technical solutions architect at Cisco, before coming over to Azure to be an Azure networking black belt, and now a principal cloud solution architect in security. What's really interesting to me uh, with Heather's resume is her degree of experience as an IT manager and consultant manager back in the late 80s at a time when for women in technology and IT, it was even more challenging than it is today, especially in the financial business at a big firm like Morgan Stanley. So Heather, talk to me about the early part of your career and breaking into IT management as a woman at Morgan Stanley in, uh, you know, 1989 through 1990-something. Right. So um, as you mentioned, I did start my career at Morgan Stanley. And back then, there were not a lot of women in IT or tech. And the numbers were even lower than they are now. There were not a lot of role models. And it was not necessarily easy or comfortable to be a woman in IT or in tech. Yeah, so sometimes it, it felt lonely. I think I saw a lot of leaders who are amazing, who were not promoted as quickly as they probably should have been. Um, I would say my path to becoming a manager, I definitely did have some you know, great leaders who, who supported me, both men and women. And by the time I became a manager, I think I had the advantage where I did work in operations, design, implementation, you know, really the full gamut of networking. So I think there was no question that I was qualified to become a uh, manager of network design and implementation, which was the role that I held. So yeah, you, you've been involved in networking in some way, shape or form at the enterprise level for over 20 years, right? So you have a wealth of experience here. 
Have you always known that you would go into networking uh, or, or IT uh, in some way when you were, you know, say in college before you graduated? Or, you know, what led you as a woman to get involved in this industry that even today is still male dominated? I had no idea I would end up in IT. And, you know, I got my degrees in the late 80s and I took one computer science class to fulfill like a distribution requirement. Had I known how cool IT could be, I probably would have taken more classes <laughs> during college. And so actually, it was quite by chance that, um, you know, back then, there were some really good MIS or IT training programs. And I wasn't quite ready at the time to go to grad school. Grad school really requires a different level of commitment, I, I, I felt, at least at the time. So I wasn't ready to, you know, pursue like a PhD program or anything like that. So I thought, hey, this is fun. I get to live in New York. I get to learn something new. It's a training program. It just sounds like fun like college. <laughs> and that was where I ended up quite, quite by uh, chance. So if you had a chance to counsel or give advice to a young woman professional who wants to go into IT or networking or security or even just cloud in general, what would you say to her? I would say don't be intimidated. I mean, even though the numbers are not balanced, it's gotten much better. And companies like Microsoft really try to support women and give women opportunities, right? The lady who signed my offer letter to Microsoft, Anna Stimatelitos, you know, she's an amazing leader who, you know, gave me opportunity. If you look at my general manager now, uh, she's female. Her manager, um, CVP, is female. Her skip level, who is president of Microsoft Americas, is female. So there's definitely a lot of amazing women and leaders who look out after other women. So that's point number one. Don't, don't, don't be intimidated. And the and while, while the numbers are not there, it has gotten much, much better. The second piece of advice I would give is try to build a network. There are a lot of women out there who are willing to support others. Like, for example, uh, just a few weeks ago, someone on LinkedIn reached out to me. Um, someone who I don't know just wanted to have a, a session with me. I, I was willing to it's like pay back all the mentoring that, that I've had over the years, right? And I have to thank so many amazing leaders for that. So definitely build the network of men and women who will help mentor you and advocate for you. Incredible advice. Thank you, Heather, for being so forthcoming and honest and transparent in the discussion. I really appreciate it. So moving into cloud security now, which is our technical topic for the episode, I want to start our discussion with a uh, industry quote that I found while reading Gardner, as, as many of us uh, kind of marketing, technical marketing people do. And I'll just read the quote out loud and then I'll get your your thoughts on it. In a recent Gardner survey, the most commonly cited challenge to cloud adoption was gaining security team approval and support for cloud migration strategies, suggesting that security teams are struggling to adapt to increasingly complex cloud technologies. So in other words, that there are multiple challenges, as one would expect in, in security, as there would be in the data center, right? I mean, it's, it's not like security is perfect in the data center by any stretch. But in cloud, I think we could break the challenges down into two areas. One is securing what's there, right? <laughs> the apps that have already been deployed and the services that have already been deployed, be they IaaS, PaaS, or SaaS. And then the other one is trying to develop the framework and guidelines for migration. 
as opposed to, you know, because now we're reformatting, refactoring application, or maybe just lifting it wholesale into cloud. And how in the world will security controls that were born in the data center follow this thing to, to cloud as it lands in this new space? Sure, sure. I agree with that statement. I mean, we're definitely seeing security as one of the number one barriers to adoption of cloud services or migration of applications to the cloud. I actually saw some other surveys, which I found interesting. I did not dig into further where security actually was not the top barrier to entry. The top two barrier were actually skill set. And the second one, FinOps. And I was really surprised. I thought, yay, we've arrived. Security is uh, number three. Um, That's that. (laughs) But that's it. I totally agree. Cloud security is a barrier to entry. And I think a lot of it does tie back to understanding of the cloud, right? I mean, fundamentally, it's shifted. Whereas when you are on-premises, you kind of know, right? You can see it, you can touch it, or at least, you know, if you have access to a data center, you can see, okay, this is the server that runs my SAP application. In the cloud, it's a different model, and it takes a while to wrap your mind around it, right? Because it's it's a shared security model. It is partially the responsibility of the cloud service provider, but you are responsible for securing the applications and the data. And to some extent, it's that's harder. How do you make sure that the lines are not blurred and understand who is responsible for what? That we actually find is something that requires many conversations and customers need to understand that, okay, it's in the cloud. The cloud service provider has, has SLAs for um, uptime for securing the underlying infrastructure. It's different model. And it takes a long time for enterprises to absorb what the differences might mean. So it's not surprising that it, it still remains the top barrier to entry. One thing which I think the cloud service providers have done, which was brilliant, is getting all the certifications for compliance. So PCI, SOC, HIPAA, getting those certifications, I think, have done amazing things to um, minimize the objections. And I hope the cloud service providers continue to keep up with all the changes to the standards and specifications in a very fast manner to make customers comfortable. And it's the right thing to do, right? I mean, if you're expecting to host HLS data, you better be sure you are compliant with HIPAA and everything else in that industry. Right. Now, there has been a lot of improvement uh, within that area, for sure, that definitely can help during a migration motion, right? Because instead of having to spend a lot of time importing or building from scratch systems in the cloud that meets the compliance goal, the CSPs now just simply say service by service. This one's HIPAA compliant, this one's HITRUST compliant, this one's SOX compliant, whatever. And so it's much quicker now to just grab onto the service you want and use it without concern that your application is going to fall out of grace, right? Fall out of compliance by being deployed in this environment. Let's back up a little bit because you said a whole lot there and it was really, uh, really important, I think, all, all the points. But the points that stuck out to me were that it wasn't just the technology that's the deal breaker. It's the difference in understanding of how to build a secure system in the data center 
versus how to build a secure system. And by system, I mean, you know, all of the necessary security controls and functions that surround a particular application and workload to keep it safe and make it compliant and to have visibility into it day to day. The difference that it requires in cloud because the tools are so different. And some of that you mentioned was from the shared service model where you don't have as much control over the platform as you would on-prem because of course on-prem, the idea of paths and SaaS is forward or very different at least. So I think that was a really important point. How do you see customers reconciling against that challenge? Are they trying to address skill gaps? Are they hiring consultants to do the work for them? I mean, what are IT teams doing to close that gap and that difference so they can increase the speed and efficiency of their migrations? I think it's like all of the above. I mean, we see customers using uh, consultants, we see them making sure that their uh, staff are getting the best uh, training on what cloud is, what cloud security is, what IaaS and PaaS and SaaS are, and what's cloud computing. There's only so much the mind can absorb. So I think a lot of the delays we see in projects are not even technical. It's how much the brain can absorb. I mean, I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with customers where they said they really want to move to the cloud, but they have so many priorities, which by the way, are all cloud related, right? And so they cannot necessarily get to this particular cloud project. If you were to search JP Morgan, I believe the CEO said something very interesting, right? He is a big cloud advocate. And he said, if he could invest I don't know, like a hundred million more to, to move to the cloud faster, he would. So I think training and skill set is definitely part of it, right? I mean, you need to be able to support what you move to the cloud. So you look at someone like Jamie Dimon, who truly sees the value cloud can provide by way of agility, by allowing his lines of business to develop applications faster that are better for customers. I mean, you need to be sure your organizational processes are aligned properly to support cloud. And, and the number I threw out there, it's just a random number, right? No, I remember that quote. It was something to the fact, again, like, like you, my memory isn't of this particular quote perfect, but it was something along the lines of he was having to keep a lot of infrastructure or Morgan Stanley in general was in the data center kind of trapped, if you will, from a cloud perspective in the data center, because he said, it's not the infrastructure piece that's difficult. It's the, to your point, it's the skills and know-how and day two and just best practice that's difficult. So yeah, I could spend a ton of money and migrate all this stuff, this infrastructure over from the data center to the cloud, but it wouldn't be successful because no one would know how to do it right, or it would be a very slow, painful process, something to that effect. It was a really powerful quote to, to yes. you know, hit on your point about skills gaps. So for our listeners and for myself, can you give us a concrete example of a cloud security feature or system that is very different than a non-prem security feature and system that an IT pro who's new to cloud or new to cloud security might struggle with? And the reason I ask the question is because I'm wondering if it's a brass tax thing where it's literally just the ACLs are really different to program. They have different behavior. The threat intelligence is difficult to use. It has, from their perspective, it has different behavior. 
there's too many alarms and alerts, it's too many data feeds coming in, or is it more conceptual, meaning that the cloud works from a security perspective in a fundamentally different way, and thus all of my system design that I'm comfortable with has to be blown apart and Humpty Dumpty put back together again? Or is it a mix of the two? Does that question make sense? No, that, that question makes sense. Again, I go back to the mindset of on-prem versus cloud. Like the areas of focus, for example, are different for on-prem. I remember spending lots and lots of time doing scale testing for network security products, right? Like you want a, for example, at the time, a 10 gigabit per second firewall. And we spent lots of time running test cases because it had to service the, the, the specific environment between your trusted zone and your untrusted zone. Now in the cloud, you don't really do that, right? I mean, the idea is you can start small and you can scale horizontally versus on premises where the design has traditionally been one of scale up model. And the way you approach the problem is fundamentally a little bit different. But probably the biggest difference, which changes the way you look at things, and as a result, your tooling is on-premises, it's traditionally been perimeter-based security. Whereas with the cloud is the concept of zero trust. So what do I mean by that? So on-premises, the idea is if you are on the secure side of the perimeter, you're trusted. You're in, you're trusted. If you're on the outside of the perimeter, you are not trusted and you are not allowed to have access to things. So perimeter-based security is huge for on-prem. But in the cloud with zero trust, it's, it's the complete opposite mindset. That is, you don't trust. You never trust. You always assume breach. So that has some implications which has not been implemented on-prem, which is that you're really verifying every single transaction. So because you don't trust, right? It's like, it's not trust but verify. It is never trust and always verify, right? So that concept is a, a little bit different where we see, you know, like that's, that's just a given in the cloud these days. And the second part of that, which is not adopted well in on-prem, I feel, is least privilege. So the idea being, if you do have contextual information and you've decided you are authenticating the user, you want the user to have the minimum access, right? Only what the user absolutely wants access to and for that specific period of time. That was very helpful, thank you. Yeah, that term, zero trust networking, has really been grabbing a lot of headlines lately, or ZTNA, zero trust networking architecture. And I can see how, if I'm a security professional, I've been doing firewalling and, like you said, perimeter-based uh, security design for 10 years or the bulk of my career. And then suddenly I'm faced with having to handle a zero trust network kind of design and implementation. It would take time, right, for me to break apart all the pieces and look at all the different vectors where, like you said, it's not just trust, but verify, but don't trust and then verify something to that effect. Right. I'm a huge Chernobyl fan. So thanks for the quote, man. That's an awesome show. But yeah, my point is, is that there's complexity there because of the kind of borderless arrangements of a cloud, right? The concept of perimeter and cloud is very difficult to define. 
And I think this is getting more and more complicated with the more things and devices and miniature systems, IoT systems and sensors and smart stuff like refrigerators and nanny cams and, you know, home entertainment devices that we connect into cloud. Because each one of these is now an entry point and has its own conundrums with being secure insofar as the kind of security system on a refrigerator that tells you, you know, when to buy your milk is probably not nearly as advanced as the kind of security system on, say, a user laptop that has a, a VPN device on it. Do you, do you think that it's going to get worse before it gets better? I mean, we're kind of a race condition, right? We have some really good tools and ecosystems now. We have this emerging field of CNAP. So for our listeners, that's Cloud Native Application Protection Platform that is making it possible to automate and streamline a lot of the processes with security. Like I think that's called DevSecOps, right? So security pros can keep up with the speed of the application. So we have these ecosystems and these zero trust network architectures that are really blossoming right now in cloud. I think people are finally getting the memo, but at the same time, the surface area continues to expand. So thoughts on that? Like I know sure. it's constantly cat and mouse, what do you think the industry is going to be like in a couple of years with just this, you know, cybercrime is a big, big deal now. Well, it's always been a big deal, but it seems like cybercrime, especially with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, is just taking a complete new twist. There's nation state actors getting so heavily involved. So I guess my question is, do you think that cloud security has what it takes to keep up with this stuff? And if so, what does that look like? I think so. I mean, certainly there are more and more entry points. I mean, you mentioned IoT. That's like, what, 50 billion plus uh, devices, possibly um, more. So if they're all connected to the cloud, they're all entryways into a potential attack, right? So that's why, you know, zero trust is all the more important. Understanding the context of why some device or some person, some identity, which is the new se mm. security perimeter, if you will, requires access to something, right? And it is a bit cat and mouse. While our algorithms are getting better, there are also more and more entry points. Uh, Technology is a great thing, right? I mean, we have like have your iPhone, we have smart refrigerators, as you mentioned. So everything is connected. And by nature of the fact that it's connected is a security possible vulnerability. What about AI? In machine learning, because that to me feels like cloud's greatest secret weapon, right? Because I'm sure at some point cyber criminals will develop their own dark AI and, you know, use it sure. to foil the attempts of cloud-based AI and open AI in these big platforms or use open platforms in nefarious ways. But really the CSPs like Azure and Google are really leading the industry in AI capability and AI adoption. And there's so, the, the kinds of costs in specialized compute, I was just reading about this NVIDIA A100 chip that everyone's after, it's like $10,000 for one chip. You know, the cyber criminals, it's gonna be hard for them to build AI at the size and sophistication that the CSPs have, right? So CSPs are winning, of course, on the economy of scale, the hyperscaler. So talk to me about how AI can really change the game in security? Because I think that's a big deal, right? Right, right, right. I mean, AI is wonderful in that it can take all these different signals and make sense of it, right? 
So with AI, we can intelligently bubble up like the millions, you know, the sea of events and say, hey, the sea of events, I see some correlation pattern and this actually rises to the level of an incident. But it's as you say, if it can do that, then who's to say some dark net somewhere can't take AI and say, I'm going to use this for reconnaissance. I am going to um, do a great job of seeing what everything is in your network. Of course, I have to like find my way in, right? Which means, hey, you, you got to put this um, layers of defense and block it and, and, and detect it, right? So yeah, it's, it's a very, very interesting point that you bring up, like AI. Does security need AI or does AI need security? Oh, that's an interesting question. That's a fantastic so yes, you know, security needs AI to sift through all these. We're at like, I think 65 trillion signals a day. That, that, that's what we are pr processing a day at, at Microsoft. Wow. So you need something like AI, right? To make sense of all these different signals so that it's presented in a way that's useful for SecOps. Because the last thing you want to happen is something like Target, right? It's not like Target did not have the alert for that refrigerator attack. It's that there were too many alerts and it was ignored, right? So AI can definitely um, make sense out of the patterns out there with, you know, like neural networks, hey, you know, this is an attack that's happening or even better, imagine predictive AI that tells you, hey, I can predict based upon these network traffic patterns that an attack is about to happen. Wouldn't that be wonderful, right? Like minority report type of thing. Yeah. But then, then comes the can of worms. This is a great conversation. I love your point of does AI need security, right? Because what we need really is AI with a conscience because it needs to be the good stuff that the, the white hats and the security professionals need without being too easy to exploit by the black hats. But, you know, who has oversight into AI? Probably humans. So I detect a whole new line or industry in security, which is... And I'm sure Microsoft has a lot to say about this, which is not only responsible and ethical AI, but secure AI, meaning that if we start to detect that it's starting to work on a project it shouldn't work on, you know, we can, can go shut that down. Um, Minority Report is a phenomenal example <laughs> of what happens when you don't have ethical or moral AI or how we have to maybe really take a hard look at morality in the face of AI because it was predicting with high, high degrees of accuracies, all these people that were going to commit crimes, right? But was it ethically right to arrest them before the crime had been committed? It's a, I, you know, we're not going to answer that on today's podcast, but I think if you, we're going to see the development of these conundrums, these uh, moral questions in security as AI gets more involved. It's crazy. Yes. Hashtag AI for good. Yeah. Hashtag AI for good. Yeah. So I was looking at some of the use cases. And this is what I mean by um, does AI need security? There's this wonderful use case in the um, healthcare industry. You've probably noticed this. I mean, I've, I've noticed this, that when I am talking to the doctor, the doctor's really not looking at me, right? The doctor is typing on the computer and typing notes. And so one of the use cases really have a bot transcribe, listen and transcribe the conversation so that the doctor can focus on you and provide you to care and make me feel like, hey, I'm a patient and I have a doctor that really cares about my, you know, health issues, my, um, you know, what, what I'm saying. But just think about AI listening to your conversation and transcribing the key points, right? You know, great, 
it's it's efficient. It allows the doctors to do what they like to do rather than you know to, um, take notes. But we need to ensure that that data is kept private, and the um, AI bots are listening to what it's supposed to listen to and delete and erase everything that just happens to come up in a conversation because I don't even realize, right? I mean, sometimes when you're working, you don't even realize that Alexa's in the background, right? <laughs> Possibly listening to your conversation. Yeah, I was just thinking it's like Alexa for the clinic or something, right? You have a device that's listening and recording and doing intelligent things with like an AI backend, but then the data privacy and data handling implications of that have to be meticulous if we want to hold ourselves to a very high standard of personal privacy, which we do. But yeah, these as AI gets more involved in our daily lives, because 2023 seems to be the year of AI, right? It just seems to be taking off, or at least it's big time in the tech press right now. That fundamental question of privacy and security will constantly be revisited because we yes. are going to be putting a lot more information into these systems. Did you say 65 trillion signals a day? What was it that you're... 65 trillion signals a day. Right. And see, eventually the majority of that will probably end up in an AI because now we have AI-powered Bing, right? So all these signals will be more and more in that path so that the AI can make better recommendations, faster recommendations, or allow multitasking or allow doctors to get better patient care, all these things. But then the security implication of all that data going into some framework and how long it keeps it... Ugh. It's, uh, this is a good thing about being a security professional, ladies and gentlemen, you will never be without work. There's always going to be a situation where you're going to need to be involved, right? For sure. Well, cool. Heather, any other last thoughts? This has been a phenomenal conversation and I always learn so much on these episodes. So thank you for, for your illumination of these topics. Uh, any last things you want to say? No, thank you for having me and having this uh, conversation. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, take care. We'll have to have a follow-up maybe next year and, and we'll reassess our predictions on AI and see how it goes. Yes, yes, and see how far cloud security has come. And um, and I'm going to look up the next year's Gartner report and see what are the top three barriers. I hope security is not number one. <laughs> yes, let's hope. That would be wonderful. We can get security out of the spotlight for a little bit. Right. <laughs> okay, thank you, Heather. Take care. Have a great one. Thank you. All right, bye.